0: You're listening to the Writers Off The Page podcast. Here's your host, writer, reader, journalist and lover of soy latte, Shanae Maripodi.
1: Hi and thanks for joining me. WA has produced some fabulous authors and this season I sit down with some of the best. Sasha Wosley writes commercial fiction as well as mystery, paranormal and young adult novels under SD Wosley. Sasha's Daughters of the Outback series, which includes Dear Banjo, True Blue and Love Song, was published by Penguin Random House and has since been optioned for film. Her latest novel, Spring Clean for the Peach Queen, was published by Pantera Press. Sasha, thanks for joining me. Thanks
0: so much, Janaine. I'm happy to be here.
1: So take me back to when
0: it all began. How did you get published originally? Well, I had to wait quite a long time. I've been writing since I was about... Well, since I could write, basically. And I wrote my first novel-length book when I was 14. Uh, It was very derivative. It was pretty much Anne of Green Gables set in Australia. Um, And obviously that one didn't get picked up for publication. But I was continually sending fiction stories, poems, um, books to publishers and just wondering why I was never getting published. I did get a couple of really nice emails or letters back, letters in the old days, from publishers saying, um, you can write, but this is not for us, so just keep writing and keep sending. So that was really encouraging. And then when I was um, in my late 30s, uh, my marriage ended, so that was a big life change for me. And I met a lovely new bloke, and uh, he said, are oh, you write? can I read what you've written? And I was a bit nervous because I didn't like showing people, but I showed him and he said to me that was that's really good. Why don't you send it off for publication? I said, well, I have and no one wants it. And he said, well, have you tried lots? And I said, yes. And he said, well, why don't you write something new and send that off? And it hadn't occurred to me for quite a few years to write something new. And I, I, knew, I, I knew a friend who had just recently gotten published um, with a digital press in the US. And I thought, maybe I should kind of adjust my expectations a little bit and not go for the big five the first time round, and just see if I can get even one of these smaller presses to have a look. So I wrote a young adult paranormal story and sent it off and lo and behold it got accepted. So that was my first publication that was about six or seven years ago now. And who was that published with at the time? That was Ever19 and I wrote pretty quickly after that I wrote the sequel And then I wrote a whole bunch of other stories and decided to try self-publishing. So I've kind of been around the traps a little bit in the publishing world. So I wrote about five books which I self-published. And then I wrote an adult contemporary outback story, which I had met an agent at a conference and um, I'd heard that she was interested in that kind of thing. So I sent it off to her and that was Alex Adset and she um, loved it. And a couple of weeks after she told me she loved it, she had like three offers on the table for it from, um, from Big Five Publishers. So that was amazing. Yeah, I got to actually choose which publisher I wanted to go with.
1: What was the waiting time like between us, I guess, submitting those things to Alex and then those offers coming through?
0: Do you remember how long it was in the Yeah, um, that was really quick, which shocked me because everything else had been so slow. But I think Alex knew that someone in particular in the industry was after a rural romance and she also knew that it was quite a hot genre so she when she liked it she moved quickly to talk to those people Um, in fact so quickly that I was a bit startled because she sort of contacted me and said hey do you want to sign with me I said yes um of course (laughs) (laughs) let me think about it yes (laughs) (laughs) that's right Um, and then she she was kind of silent for about a week and I, I started to think, I might message her soon and just see what she wants me to put together in terms of the pitch that she was talking about. But before I could do that, she contacted me and said, look, I pitched last week and I've got three interested, so everyone's reading it at the moment and then someone's taking it to acquisitions next week and I just about fell off the chair. I couldn't believe I was like, oh, my God, is this how things work? Did you play it cool, though? No. <laughs> I'm not very good at playing it cool, no.
1: Wow, so from there things moved quickly, you had, um, so that was Daughters of the Outback series, Mm. um, how many of, how
0: many in the series had you written before you approached Alex? I had written one and I had only expected to write one, um, because again, total noob, didn't understand the industry at all, so Alex came back to me and said, look, they really like to buy series, um, can you write anything else in the series in the town or whatever? I said, well, she's got two sisters, so maybe I could write them a love story each. She said, great. Write a paragraph about each, what you think that you would write about, and I'll pitch it as a series. So, you know, I got a three-book contract, which, again, was stunning. Oh, really? Yeah. So what was the length of time like to
1: write those? Once you had, I guess, you'd written a paragraph on each of the second, second and third books in the series what was the time like for you then
0: from getting it draft stage to alex um i usually i'm right i write pretty fast so that wasn't a problem i got the the books had to come out you know year on year basically i think it was june each year from 2017 2018 and 2019 and so I just wrote, the second one was hard to write. I think I kind of had that little bit of what they call second book syndrome, even though it was more like my seventh or eighth book, um, just because of this pressure on, you know, you really want to, to make it as good as the first one. You want to meet people's expectations. So I kept having to rewrite that one until I was happy with it. But it's, I still got it in well within deadline. And then the third one practically wrote itself. It was more like the first one in that sense. But yeah, I, I tend to write fast. So I had the, the first one I wrote over about a three or four month period. Then I always let it sit for a while before I go back and edit it. So I guess that makes it around seven or eight months in the end. Second one took me more like nine, ten months. And the third one, you know, I think I cranked that out in more like five or six months. So do you plot your books or just pants, <laughs> as people say? So yeah, you won't come for Um us? A bit of both. I mostly come up with a premise. With a romance, it's kind of a foregone conclusion, where the story's going to go. You just have to work out who the hero and the heroine are and then um, fill in all the gaps. And I guess, you know, most genre fiction is, in that sense, formulaic. You're going to, if you're writing a mystery, you're going to be solving the mystery, and if you're writing a crime, you're going to be uncovering the criminal. Um, Although people tend to assume, and this is a side note, that romance is the most formulaic, but I dispute that. (laughs) Um, I had a bit of an idea where the books were going to go, but I, I tend to make it up as I go along. And I read a really good quote by Dr. Off last night that's, and I can't remember the exact words, but it was something like, writing is like driving a car at night and your headlights only illuminate just the next little bit of where you're going, but you've got to trust that it's going to get you to the destination in the end. I like that. It's yeah. Nice. Yeah.
1: So the books now, they've
0: been optioned for film. Mm. Where are things at with that? Uh, last I heard, um, still in the process of trying to gather finance, which I think is always kind of the big thing for any film. Uh, but they haven't, So they haven't been greenlit yet, but, um, but things are happening, you know, because when you get an, your book's option for film, it's always that, hey, don't get too excited kind of thing because... Many, many, like I think it's something ridiculous, like 90%, never actually see the light of day after that. It's just an exciting thing to happen. And um, then it never goes anywhere. But this producer has actually been out there trying to find it and um, working pretty hard on it and getting funding and so on. So hopefully it'll go ahead. Did you ever in your wildest dreams think that the books you were writing could end up even the
1: thought of it going to film, not even getting to optioning stages, that initial teaser?
0: Look, I think, I think I'd think i be lying if I said no, but I really didn't think that was going to happen because I sort of thought, look, if it ever happens, it'll be for a big crime. Well, because I do write a bit of crime and a bit of psychological suspense, so I honestly didn't think that an Australian romance would be the thing that got picked up. So that was a shock. Um but I guess every author kind of has that little spark of hope somewhere that someone's going to see it, and you know that, that Reese Witherspoon's going to read it or Nicole Kidman or someone <laughs> like that. What
1: could you possibly be talking about? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, so I have to ask, you're you're self described farming wannabe. Mm-hmm. I've heard. So has what's the obsession about? And is has that played a part in your work? Given the Outback
0: series. <laughs> Yes, definitely. I've always kind of, I've always thought of myself as a bit of a country farm girl, which is really weird because I'm completely an urban Perth girl. And we moved a lot when I was a kid, but never to the country. But I think farming must be—it's in my blood, definitely, and that must have something to do with it. I have um, pioneers in my family that sort of were farmers in York, and then on the other side down in uh, Busselton, Bunbury—that kind of area. So there is farming in my family, and I was also one of those horse-mad girls. (laughs) Oh, God, weren't we all? (laughs) (laughs) And I loved animals. I wanted to be a vet, so I was kind of crazy about just animals, livestock, all of those things, and that definitely played a part in writing a book set on a cattle station. I also got um, sent up to Kununurra when I was in my copywriting career and fell in love with the area, which is why I chose the East Kimberley to choose to write the book and um, sort of Kimberley Cattle Station, kind of that uh, squatocracy kind of old pastoral farming community up there. But the um, one I'm working on at the moment, which is sort of due for publication in 2023, that is set in York mostly. So I've kind of gone back to my roots a bit with that one, I've done lots of research and really... I've even actually included my family members, the ones who were farming out in York, in the story because I thought that's nice, a nice little kind of nod to the rest of my family and they'll recognise these names and so on, even if no one else does. That is a nice tribute to them. Mm. Now, I'm absolutely obsessed
1: with your latest no- novel, Spring Clean for the Peach Queen, which was released by Pantera Press.
0: Just in case people haven't picked up a copy yet, tell us a little bit about it. Thank you for the lovely compliment. Um, Spring Clean for the Peach Queen is about Lottie Bents. And when she was 18, she was crowned the Peach Queen in the little orchard town where she grew up. But all Lottie ever wanted was to get famous. So she left town pretty much straight away, headed for the Big Smoke and tried to become a celebrity. Changed her name to Charlie's Best instead of Charlotte Bents and um, did everything in her power to become... Kind of insta-famous and you know in the magazines and get on the soaps and all all of the things that she she didn't want to be kind of highbrow famous she just wanted to be famous and 12 years later it really just hasn't happened for her until a fateful night when everything goes wrong at a party and the guy she's seeing dies of drug overdose he happens to be quite a bit more famous than her so she's dragged into the limelight quite quickly And just a little while before that she decided she would do a bit of a risque glamour shoot where she gets her top off and, um, you know, goes, poses for a a fairly, uh, one of the kind of more, I guess, upmarket men's magazines. Um, And obviously because she's famous at the time because the boyfriends just died, they published the shoot that week. And she ends up... um, famous for all the wrong reasons and what she's wanted to be all her life as a celebrity and now she's it and she hates it. So she turns tail and goes home because she just needs to take stock of who she is and what she wants in life and when she's there she embarks on a spring clean of her personality and her life. So she decides to get rid of her phone, her social media, Um, she doesn't look in the mirror anymore, she stops wearing makeup, she stops lying and acting and faking and doing all the things that she think were the things that got her into trouble and uh but people think that she's a Marie Kondo expert because she's (laughs) been uh, doing this sort of fake Instagram thing where she declutters her apartment and so she kind of gets roped into a few little decluttering projects around town as well and so all of this is going on she's negotiating a very angry mum and a hot young farmer who happens to be at the farm where she's she's staying, and um, the return of the harvest ball, which has been on hiatus for twelve years since she left. Don't tell us too much more. <laughs>
1: so you had me from the very start when Lottie started doing her Marie Kondo personalized declutter, throwing out her phone, her social media. Had me going. Yes, yes, I would love to do that. <laughs> I never
0: would, but could you imagine?
1: Was this, in a way, were you living vicariously through Lottie at
0: all? Definitely. At the time, I was working as um, a communications officer for a not-for-profit, and it was my job to run their social media. I also had teenage girls, and I was sort of seeing, living the dream, in terms of how difficult social, social media is. I was finding it exhausting to be running my own brand on social media, and also... The not-for-profit brand and also trying to help my kids kind of navigate that so what I really wanted was to get rid of it all but I couldn't so I was living a bit vicariously and just recently I finished working there and don't get me wrong it was a great job and I loved working there but I'm now about to do a social media declutter and just kind of get rid of it for a couple of months. And so I'm really excited about that. Who knows if I'll make it last. It's hard. (laughs) You're not
1: in the industry to throw out social media when it is such a brand-dominated industry. I feel like I saw a bit of you in Lottie when um, her obsession with the chickens. (laughs) Um, You've got your own um, Books with Chooks, Mm -hmm. which is your book-reviewing... Was Lottie you with the chickens? <laughs> well, how much of that was your voice coming through, <laughs> singing Survivor <Lottie>. to chickens?
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay, so Lottie basically was me for that bit. And while I was writing the stuff about Chucky, the black chook who gets sick, um, I had my own black chook, Trixie, who had exactly that same condition. And um, Trixie's life went a little bit differently to Chucky's. So Chucky went in and they gave her, a, a course of course, antibiotics, which Lottie then had to administer. And she became very close and, and attached to this chicken. She had her in a box in the caravan she was staying in, kind of looking after her. And, and when she released her, like I say, she, like you say, she was singing, singing a song to her before she let her go into the flock. Um, my Trixie got an implant, <laughs> basically got implant on <laughs> to stop her laying eggs, <laughs> oh, and it see. extended her life beautifully. And she did live a very happy, barren life um, running around the coop. And it was interesting because she'd always been a very broody girl before then. So suddenly this was quite liberating to her, I think, <laughs> to, to not be laying eggs anymore. Um, so, yes, I, I, my love of chooks means that I do spend a bit of time with my girls out in the backyard. Trixie is no more, unfortunately. But she did live a long, happy life. And I now have four chickens, two rescues and two that were um, surrogated by Trixie. And they're enormous; they're way bigger than Trixie ever was. So I go out there and I sit down, and it's very low key. I don't do it every week, but I just pull out a book that I've read recently and talk while I'm throwing a few dried oats to my chickens. So they're in the shot because I'm a bit shy and I don't like to be in the shot. So I thought, well, we need something to look at, and I wanted to talk about the books I've been reading. So why not fill <laughs> the, the chickens?
1: <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned before with the out- daughters of the Outback series that you were getting them out, turning them out quite quickly over, Mm. I still say, six, eight, nine months is still quite quick, really. Um, How did Spring Clean for the Peach Queen compare?
0: Um, That one took a little bit longer because it wasn't under contract, so I wasn't under any obligation to write it, but I was looking to my next book. But I think I actually wrote that before I wrote Love Song, which was the third contracted novel. And I was sort of looking for a bit of a shift in direction. I didn't want to do straight what they call ruro in the industry, Mm -hmm. rural romance. Very hard to say. Um, But I, I do love country towns. There's something about the kind of small community life where everyone knows everyone. And there's so many big personalities. So I wanted that. But I also wanted the kind of city urban life in there. And I I kind of consider this, even though, look, there there is romance in it, I consider it a bit of a shift into more of a contemporary fiction or what is known by some, which I don't like, as women's fiction. (laughs) So, um, yeah, that one took a little longer. I wrote it in between writing other contracted novels and then I edited it for a bit longer as well. And I shifted publishers with it too, so it was a bit of a change all up. Do you try and only be working on one project at the one time? I do because I get like ultra focused on what I'm working on and it's fine at the beginning if I'm writing and then copy edits come back for the previous book or something like that, I can shift gear. But if I'm part way through writing the end, like if I'm in that last 30,000 words, it's really hard for me to snap my mind over onto a different railway line. You know, I can't do it. I really have to focus on what I'm doing. So sometimes I have to just go back to my publisher and say, look, I need another week just working on this one. (laughs) Not that I can write 30,000 words in a week, although I did write that in isolation recently. Um, And then, yeah, then I can switch gears and change on to something else. I do prefer to work on one project at once.
1: I'm intrigued. We were talking before, obviously, about... the other genres that you've written in and they're under the pen name sd Wozley. Mm. how has that all worked for you they were the first books that you had published
0: what made you go for sd Wozley rather than sasha um at the time i was um with this like i said this smaller or it's not huge here i don't know how big it is over in the u.s digital publishing house in um canada actually and they had an existing Sasha in their stable, so I was kind of like, well, I don't want to get mixed up with that Sasha. So I decided, and I hadn't really decided what I would do about my author name at that point, so I just made a bit of a glib decision. I'll be SD Wosley. But when I shifted over to Penguin and got my um, rural romances published, the publisher said, "Look, it would look lovely to have your name on the cover because Sasha's quite a pretty name, and it's you know it's going to be a pretty book and it's quite a feminine story. and We like the idea of having your name. And I thought, oh, yeah, that sounds okay to me. And then I can use that as a bit of a distinction between the two different types of books I'm writing. But it wasn't terribly strategic, to be honest. The one thing I probably would have done if I could go back now was choose a pen name that was kind of more in the middle of the alphabet because then I don't get stuck down the bottom right-hand corner (laughs) of the bookshelf in the shop. (laughs) So I probably would have gone for something between H and... (laughs) P? <laughs> instead of <What>? wasli <laughs> so now for anything
1: future you said you've also got a middle grade yes floating around
0: what what will you do pen name wise i think i'm going to go with something completely different for that unless my publisher has other ideas because i feel like that is really quite different from what i'm writing in the adult area so i'm doing a bit of a nora roberts and going with a different pen name for a completely different genre I guess there will be some crossover in the sense that parents are buying for kids and a lot of my readers would be parents. But I feel like I can handle that. I can kind of go online and say, look, I've written a middle grade. Here's my pen name. And, you know, if you like my books and you want to support me and you want your kids to read my books, then look for this. Um, but I feel like you've
1: done with SD Wosley as well, you've got the direction on your website as well to say, Hey, go over to this website for more information on these books, Mm.
0: but you don't want to split it too many ways because then it becomes a bit too hard to try and manage as well. But I think, um, with middle grade, hopefully not many of those kids are on social media, at least not on the ones that I know how to use. (laughs) So, um, I won't be doing direct marketing to them. I'll be relying on shops and libraries and things like that, which will be quite nice. How does it work when you're
1: submitting under a pen name to a publisher? You're obviously going through an agent, which changes things a bit more. But if you were submitting directly to a publisher, would you submit under the pen name you ideally want to be published with or under Sasha Wosley and if it came time to talking contract publication then say, hey, I want to use this name instead? Mm,
0: I think a first-time author would probably submit under the pen name they want to use if they've chosen one. Um, if they're not going to do that, then they probably need to make it clear in their in their cover letter or once they start having conversations with the publisher that they're thinking about using a pen name. Um, nowadays, I guess because I've got a couple of books out, that would be a conversation i will just have with the publisher as I'm going along.
1: And you're obviously, you've gone down the agent pathway yes. instead. How far in, so it was the Daughters of the Outback that you then got in with Alex and set, well, how have you found it different going with an agent rather than
0: putting yourself forward? Uh, it's so much nicer to go with an agent when it comes to submitting to publishers because they really do have a direct line. Like a good agent can just email a publisher or ring them and say, I've got this, are you interested in reading it? And it's just so much better than having to go into the slush pile and read for slush months pile months. Yeah. <laughs> And you really, I mean, I've, I had a book published once with a, with a small press. This one was sort of in between um, my first books and the later ones and it got picked up and it was actually at the copy edit stage when I heard back from two other publishers that I'd subbed it to, um, that were more traditional. And I then had to kind of scramble and go, all right, am I, am I too far along now? Um, can I jump ship and go with one of these bigger publishers um, and as it turned out, I didn't have to worry about it because they were just kind of inquiring and saying, "Look, we quite like this, and and uh, we're we're reading it. You know, we're taking it to acquisitions." And then it didn't get through, so it was kind of a, a, a not a problem in the end. But that's how long it was taking. I think I had submitted that ten months before,
1: maybe even a year. Which so many people would find themselves in that position, mm. either submitting to. You don't want to spread yourself too thinly and submit to too many people, but then the wait is yeah. often so long that you've got to put yourself out there, but then hearing back from one after pension, <laughs> oh, my goodness, I'm sure it's just never-ending. Yeah. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you about, you said that you self-published mm. some of the books. Self-publishing versus traditional. What have you found?
0: It wasn't for me. i am um, I've worked in marketing, but I'm not very good at marketing myself. I don't enjoy it. I find... I feel wrong doing it I feel like I'm big-headed and pushing myself and people don't want to hear it and you know all of those things all of that negative self-talk so I didn't enjoy it but I know other people who do it amazingly well and are very successful sell thousands of books and they get all of the income themselves so they more power to them I'm really impressed I couldn't make it work for me though.
1: Is it hard as well because you're you're, you're your own editor the whole way along so
0: having that faith in yourself as well that yeah i didn't have that faith in myself so i actually paid an editor so I've well and truly you know overspent basically i never made my money back on that and you have to commission and most you know what a lot of self-pub- self-published authors actually do pay an editor and then they have to pay for a cover design and all kinds of other things as well including sometimes the formatting um, and they buy into marketing packages and stuff like that so there's actually quite a few outlays. Um, that people don't realise are there and yeah I just found that I was just pouring money into it and getting nothing back so that wasn't for me
1: where did you start with it all though how did you get everything going if someone's listening to this an aspiring writer an emerging writer um, and they're wanting to go down the self-publishing pathway where do they start
0: Hmm, probably join a few groups and forums because there's a lot of um, information out there that will save you a lot of grief if you can get your hands on that first. Maybe even buy a couple of books about self-publishing because there are some out there. Um, I wouldn't recommend that they go with anyone that's going to charge like an upfront upfront fee. I think that's probably you're probably just going to get ripped off. And it's pretty easy to do yourself, so you're much better off to go to Ingram Spark or. Um, Amazon Create Space or Kindle Direct publishing and um, set up your own files and so on. Just you need a little bit of tech savvy, but nothing too drastic. Um, but I would definitely recommend coughing up the money for an editor because it's really hard to see gaps in your own story. and that's the one thing that's probably missing from that equation. And that's why sometimes, sometimes, definitely not all the time, self-published work can be a little substandard it's people who aren't really I think um, paying the money or taking the time to get the additional set of eyes on their work.
1: Do you think it's easier for an established author to then go backwards and go into um, self-publishing because they've got more of an idea
0: of what it takes for a novel to be successful? I think so I've seen a couple of people do that I'm not sure why I guess maybe they consider that they'll get um the more of the income straight to them and therefore you know if they've already built themselves a name it would make sense um for me there's too many hurdles along the way i wouldn't enjoy the whole deciding on a cover and um you know finding an editor finding a copy editor and then a proofreader um trying to work out distribution to me that would be the big stumbling block i would not want to be doing that job so i'm really glad that i've got a whole team of people working on that stuff and i can just focus on writing books um congratulations are in order you've just been announced
1: as next year's established writer in residence at the ksp writers center well
0: done what what's the plan for it well when i saw that one i thought oh my god this has got my name written all over it so i immediately applied um the thing I'm working on at the moment, which is a historical, has got, as one of its main characters, a conscientious objector and pacifist, and I'm not sure if you know much about the uh, about Catherine Susanna Pritchard herself, but she was the founding member in WA of the Communist Party, and she was married to a VC, Hugo Throssell, who um, came back from the war and was a pacifist. So, they were kind of inspirational in, in the story that I'm writing. So, yeah, it was just it was like a no-brainer I have to apply for this. And I was so honoured when they chose me. It's going to be an amazing opportunity to finish off that book. I'm finishing the drafting at the moment, but what I'll be able to do next year is immerse myself in that environment. They've got a um, like a private collection there of letters and books and diaries and things like that that I can look at. So that'll just really cement everything for me, and that'll be right at the stage where I'll be finishing off the um, structural edits and copy edits and so on. So it'll be perfect timing.
1: Now, if people don't realise there are um, writer-in-residence programs across the country mm-hmm. and for emerging as well as established authors, how does a writer-in-residence program
0: actually work? What do you, what do, you do if you get accepted into one? <laughs> They're all different, but generally, what it is is an opportunity to either stay somewhere or spend your working hours somewhere. So they provide you a space, and they often will pay you, which is a you know a huge a luxury bonus when you're an <laughs> yeah. author because generally you're sort of waiting for royalty checks and advances as an author. So it's really nice to have this kind of income in between. Last year, I was awarded the National Trust of WA one, which was a bit different. You didn't stay there because it's kind of grand houses that are now part of the National Trust. So I spent um, a few days at Peninsula Farm in Maylands and then a couple of weeks at um, Woodbridge House. And because the book I'm writing now is also set in Guildford. So, yeah, I've been really lucky with residencies with this book. Um, But, yeah, amazing opportunity because you get to meet people who really know a lot about these about wherever it is they they are so i know that emily mcguire did a medical one so she was able to spend a year mm-hmm. working with medical professionals oh, wow. and um, her area of interest was hoarding disorder so she was able to get really good information um working with these psychologists psychiatrists and social workers and gosh it, so, it just puts you
1: ahead of the game doesn't it being yeah, a, right yeah. in the center
0: of i guess whatever you're working on yeah.
1: So your next novel is set to be released in the first half of next year, is that right? That's correct, yes.
0: Is there anything you can tell us about it or is it all under wraps? No, I can tell you about that one. So my next novel is a road trip story. It's called A Caravan Like a Canary and it's set in modern-day um, Western Australia, which seems to be where all my books are set. <laughs> Um It's about Tara who is who had an awful childhood where... All these horrible things happened to her when she was about 11. Um, she went on an ill-fated road trip with her mum, her brother and her baby sister. And her mum was basically on the run. And um, things, yeah, turned nasty. And she's kind of been traumatised ever since. Her mum is now dying, living up in an area a bit like Broome. I've, I've kind of got a fictional town, but I kept imagining Broome while I was writing it. And Tara and Zach, her brother, are now have been tasked with taking the old caravan back up to mum. So they have to do the same road trip again. So they kind of have to come to grips with all the things that happened on that road trip and deal with some stuff that's going on in their lives now. And um, I'm actually really excited about this one. I feel like I've kind of lifted my game, gone to the next level, and I'm, I'm really hoping that um, other people enjoy it as much as I enjoyed writing it. Sounds exciting. I'm looking forward to it.
1: (laughs) What's been your biggest learning? You've released a lot of books now. You've written a lot of books. Over the years, what's been your biggest, I guess, discovery of
0: how to do things better? I think I understand now that writer's block for me is not writer's block. It means that I've got a plot problem or a character arc problem. So it means I have to go back to the craft and do a bit of... um, Planning and sitting down, because I said before I was a bit of a pantser but I plot when I'm in trouble. So if the book is stalling, or I'm not happy with the way a character's going, or the way the story's going, then I know I've got to sit down and do some hard yards. Um, the other thing I've discovered is that writing a historical is extremely hard work because the research required is <laughs> astronomical compared to anything else I've written. Like you, you're just sitting there writing a sentence, like um, you know she she paid. She paid for a newspaper, and then you are kind of like, okay, what? How much would it have cost in 1917? And where would you buy a newspaper? And uh, what newspapers were around? And were they kind of running in the same way that they run now? <laughs> kind of all run by one big company? Or yeah, yeah. So there's a whole lot of stuff when you're just sitting writing a paragraph, and I can't count the number of times I flicked between Google and. Um, my book that I was writing so have you been researching as you're going or did you do a big chunk I did a big chunk first and that was the residency that I did last year so I barely wrote anything while I was there I was just doing research reading and looking at old documents and letters and things like that and also learning about World War One because it's kind of set in that era and then I wrote most of it this year but you have to continually research as you go (laughs) It's nothing like writing anything else. So huge hats off to all the other historical authors out there. I've got a whole new respect for you. What's your biggest tip for aspiring writers or someone who's yet to be published? Um, I can only go from my own experience, and that is if you have sent your book to many, many places and you're still getting rejections, try sitting down and writing something new and sending it off because maybe your craft is still developing a bit and those books aren't going to get out. You might then find after you've been published, that you can turn around and have another look at it and, and send it off to a publisher. But sometimes, you know, there's a whole bunch of reasons why your book doesn't get accepted. But sometimes it literally is that you haven't developed enough as an author and you just need to sit down and keep writing and keep getting words on the page and improving
1: good advice hard if people have spent years yeah. working on the one story but very very good <laughs> i advice. learned the hard
0: way <laughs> why shouldn't other people
1: <laughs> so you unlike lottie you haven't done a complete social media declutter
0: how can people find you online so the best way to find me especially going forward while i do my declutter i'm not going to ditch my socials so they can find me under sasha Wosley on um instagram which is my favorite and to a lesser extent facebook um I'm on Twitter but I really don't get on there much because it terrifies me <laughs> and but the best place is my website sashawosley.com and people can also follow books with chooks yes on Instagram that's right
1: sasha wosley thank you so much for your time today
0: thank you so much for having me